The Wizard of Oz was one of the first movies I remember falling in love with. I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. Most mornings before kindergarten, I'd beg my mom to braid my hair Dorothy-style. Two French braids that rested on my shoulders. For Halloween, my Oma sewed me a blue gingham dress to match Judy Garland's frock. And I even had my own craft glitter version of Dorothy's red ruby slippers. One of my mom's friends noticed how totally cuckoo for Dorothy I was. And she was like, well, if you love this movie so much, then you're really gonna love this. And handed me a VHS tape for a different movie. On the cover were all the familiar characters. The Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Lion, and a beaming Dorothy. But this wasn't rosy-cheeked, pale-faced Judy Garland. This was Dorothy with an afro and brown skin. In fact, all the characters on the cover were black. And beneath them, in sparkling gold letters, was the title of this film, The Wiz. I'm on my way to find The Wiz. He's going to get me back home. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. On January 5th, 1975, 48 years ago this week, The Wiz premiered in its original form on Broadway. With some luck and a lot of hustle, this all-Black reimagining of the Oz classic made it all the way to Hollywood. But the pathway to success wasn't always paved with beaming yellow bricks. And it would take more than a wizard to help the film reach its audience and find its way home. So stick around, because after the break, we're not in Kansas anymore. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From the moment I popped in the VHS of The Wiz... I was immediately swept up into its colorful, fantastical world. On screen, I recognized the contours of the Oz I had fallen in love with. But this one was remixed, dialed up times a thousand. If you've never seen The Wiz, let me give you the highlights. The 1978 film takes place not in Kansas, but in New York City, and it opens with a large family Thanksgiving get-together at Aunt M's Harlem apartment. Uncles and aunties and cousins are eating, laughing, playing checkers together, just being a family. 
And that's where we meet a wide-eyed Diana Ross as Dorothy. Soon, Dorothy and Toto get swept away from Harlem and dropped somewhere unknown. Dorothy tries to find her way back home, and on the way, she meets some familiar friends. If I only had a brain, I would have figured that out a long time ago. The Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Cowardly Lion are all there, but, you know, blacker. Mama had high ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) For two-plus hours, the group adventures all throughout New York City. In Munchkinland, instead of the Lollipop Guild, they meet graffiti come to life. They get lost in subway stations, where they're chased by some monstrous concrete columns. And finally, they make it to Emerald City. There, the camera pulls wide to capture all of Oz. There are hundreds of dancers, strutting and high-kicking and singing in shimmering LeMay get-ups in the old World Trade Center Plaza. This was Oz like I had never seen it before. The music was bolder, more powerful. It sounded like the soul and Motown records my parents played around the house. The design was mind-boggling, grimy and maximal, and for a little kid, kind of scary. But I was moved by this world, this alternate telling, steeped in blackness that, frankly, I was not used to seeing centered let alone celebrated so fully. I was just a little kid when I first saw The Wiz, but even then, I knew something about this movie was special. It helped me understand myself differently. I saw the power I could have, the space I could take up. And I expected all my friends to be in love with this world too. But I quickly learned that while my Black friends were similarly enthusiastic, my non-Black friends had never even heard of the movie. Turns out, this divide was nothing new. In fact, the mechanics of this audience split had been set in motion long before the VHS ended up in my living room. It was there when the film premiered in 1978, and it was even there before The Wiz was a film, when it was just the germ of an idea for a new show on Broadway, scribbled in the notebook of a radio DJ named Ken Harper. Ken Harper was a young Black man from the Bronx. In the 1960s, he was a military DJ in Korea. So when Ken got back home to New York City, he started working at a local radio station. He was a DJ, so he was working with the the popular sounds of the time. And Black music was exploding around us. This is George Faison. He actually worked with Ken on the original Broadway version of The Wiz as the choreographer. He says Ken's revolutionary idea for the show was inspired both by the radio and by the times. James Brown was screaming, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. We were emerging and and, and protesting on the streets. There was Angela Davis being arrested down the street. We have the right, we have the human right to defend ourselves and to defend our principles and defend what we want to do. Ken had this idea to take an old standard and update it with the new sound of soul. In his notebooks, he considered a few different stories, Goldilocks, Can Can, 
Eventually, he landed on The Wiz. He had the dream of doing a Black version of The Wizard of Oz with popular music. So Ken took his idea and started pitching around town. He reached out to actors and to pivotal crew members like George. But everything was still in limbo. He invited me to choreograph The Wiz, and I was, of course, flattered, but he hadn't raised the money. To make The Wiz, Ken was going to need cash. He reached out to everyone he could think of. Banks, friends, arts institutions. And the responses started flowing in, like this one from the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. After careful consideration, we find that we are not interested in producing Wiz here at the center. And I am returning the script to you. And most were very clear what they thought of Ken's idea. Judy Garland's Over the Rainbow seems a classic that would be difficult, if not impossible, to top. And quite frankly, I, I don't think there's much point in trying to do so. Then, in 1973, almost two years after he started pitching, one of his letters ended up on the desk of a major production company. He eventually talked 20th Century Fox into being the producers of of the show. Yes, 20th Century Fox, who mostly produced movies, decided to fund one of their earliest Broadway musicals, and they saw potential in Ken's idea. Fox gave Ken $650,000, but that funding came with a catch in the form of studio notes. One Fox executive wrote, I hate the title, The Wiz. It sounds like a household cleaner. The letter continues with some character suggestions. Quote, The scarecrow could have been a jive-ass... And then she proceeds to use the N-word, hard R, who, quote, never quite got his act together. The letter is filled with notes like these. But Ken would not be deterred. He made the changes to the script he could live with. And finally, on opening night, January 5th, 1975, the doors of Broadway's Majestic Theater swung open as the excited audience made their way down to their seats, waiting for the curtain to rise. Seventeen-year-old Stephanie Mills charmed audiences as Dorothy. She pranced around a whimsical Kansas set as dancers, meant to personify the yellow brick road, twirled around her. The choreographer behind the show, George Faison again. They had huge yellow afros. They had bell bottoms and clown shoes, all yellow. And then they had glitter on their faces and so forth. It was fantasy. When were we able to have that much fun? The cast and crew were hopeful they had a hit on their hands. But as early reviews started pouring in, that didn't seem to be the case. Some of them were appalled to see that, that it was an all-Black take on, on The Wizard of Oz. The New York Times ran their review under the title, The Wiz Misses. 
When it opened, the white critics at the major New York papers did not know what to do with what they were watching. This is Professor Eric Glover. He teaches dramaturgy and Black musical theater history at Yale. He says after the poor opening night, the future of the show was looking bleak. But Ken Harper, the creator of The Wiz, had thoughts about what could save his show. Ken could see that some of the people in the audience at these shows were Black, but he knew that beyond Broadway's usual suspects, there was a whole untapped audience of Black theatergoers who might enjoy The Wiz, if he could get the word out. They had the Black performers do interviews with Black press and with the radio. That was how those Black media outlets were able to get out the word to Black audiences. And that was also how many Black audiences learned about the show. Ken also had one more idea, which he took to 20th Century Fox. Harper actually famously shot a commercial for The Wiz as well. Believe your eyes, The Wiz is live. In the ad, a diverse theater audience is watching a live performance of the musical. The final moment is of Toto jumping off the stage into the arms of this little Black boy who is sitting in the front row. Is live on stage at the Broadway Theater. It's a dream come true. Ken's marketing push worked. Black audiences, young and old, came out to Broadway, packing in the theater show after show for months. Well, the world of dance has certainly changed, as you can see from this impressive list of nominees for the best choreographer. At the 1975 Tonys, the Wiz was nominated for eight awards, including a Best Choreographer nod for George. And the winner is George Faison for The Wiz. And my acceptance speech was, was <laughs> consisted of just jumping up and down for sheer joy. <laughs> what do you say? Thank you so very much. Then towards the end of the show. And now, it's my great pleasure to announce the nominees for Best Musical. And they are... They announced the most coveted award of the night, Best Musical. And The Wiz, produced by Ken Harper. And the winner is... The Wiz! In total, The Wiz would take home seven Tony Awards that night including one for Ken Harper. I'd like to thank the cast, the crew, and I'd like to thank the audiences that have been coming to see The Wiz. Thank you. The Wiz was officially a Broadway success. And when you've got a hit on the stage, well, it isn't too long before Hollywood comes knocking. Ken's grassroots production was about to get the star-studded blockbuster treatment. I love the play so much. I've seen it six times before I even knew I was going to be in it. The Wiz goes to Hollywood, for better and for worse, after the break.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, munchkins. Before the break, we watched the whiz grow from an idea in the pages of Ken Harper's notebook to a fully realized Broadway musical. And while the show struggled to find its audience at first, it eventually triumphed at the 1975 Tony Awards. That's when the film buzz really started happening. The story goes that Motown film producer Rob Cohen went and saw the Broadway show and almost immediately knew he needed to make it a film. Motown was a longtime famous Detroit record label but they had recently moved shop to L.A. to branch out into film. Motown had already produced a couple smaller movies, but they were looking for a big blockbuster. And The Wiz seemed like a perfect fit. Motown partnered with Universal Studios, which acquired the rights to the Broadway hit. And Rob Cohen set about packing the film with Motown stars. I was awakened at about five in the morning by a call from Barry Gordy. Diana Ross had just awakened him with this crazy notion that she should play Dorothy in The Wiz. They also reached out to Diana's best friend at the time, Michael Jackson. At this point, Michael wasn't a bona fide superstar yet. This was 19-year-old Michael, Jackson 5 Michael. I would talk to Diana on the phone. I'd say, you're going to film The Wiz next week, huh? Or, or next month. She would say, yeah. Next thing I noticed, I was in it. So they sent the script. I came up, met everybody. Jackson was cast as the Scarecrow. They brought in Richard Pryor to play the Wiz. The superstar cast was really filling out, but they needed someone with real Hollywood gravitas to manage the talent and steer the film's vision. Sidney Lumet felt that today everybody lived in cities, and if if we were going to make a modern Wizard of Oz... It would have to be urban. Sidney Lumet was a prolific Hollywood director 
who'd already made classics like Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. But something about the Broadway show's Kansas setting wasn't speaking to him. And since he's an inveterate, die-hard New Yorker, he wanted to do it based around New York. New York in the 70s was going through this radical change. A major financial crisis had left the city unsafe. Buildings were crumbling. Drugs and crime were rampant. I mean, why wouldn't you set your family-friendly fantasy film there? Nothing this large has ever been done in New York City in New York's history, as far as films go. Production spared no expense. They decided to shoot the film on location. They hired hundreds of extras and commissioned costumes from some of the biggest designers at the time, like Oscar de la Renta and Ralph Lauren. By the end of production, the film had accumulated a budget of $24 million. That's monumental compared to the $650,000 Ken had gotten for the play. This production was set to be the movie event of 1978. And on October 24th, the film premiered across America. It's an adventure, but it's an adventure in Blackness. At the time, you didn't tend to see a lot of fantasy films or things that were in that genre that involved Black people. This is entertainment reporter and film critic Jill Monroe. The Wiz is one of her favorite movies of all time. Getting to go on this adventure with Dorothy and seeing a scarecrow that we were familiar with that kind of danced how we danced, you could see yourself in it. But despite the fully realized fantasy the filmmakers put on screen, The Wiz bombed at the box office. It didn't hit those dollar points. It didn't make that money. In order to make back its huge budget, The Wiz needed a huge turnout. But unlike Ken Harper's big Broadway push, Universal wasn't quite so targeted in their marketing. Ken understood and marketed to his Black audience. Universal didn't. They put their star power front and center, rather than highlight the Black aesthetic of the movie. In the end, they didn't get the numbers they needed. The film lost $3 million at the box office. The film closed, its future uncertain. Remember, back in these days, if you missed a movie in theaters, there was a good chance you'd never see it. An edited version of the film played on TV occasionally, but for the most part, it seemed like The Wiz was destined to fade away. That is, until 1992, when the film got released on a hot new technology. VHS, baby! The intergenerational aspect of it was important. It is something that would be played, especially in the VHS era, on a weekend during the holiday time period. Once The Wiz got its official VHS release, the film finally connected with the Black audience its theater debut failed to tap into. Bringing the tape to a family gathering, popping it in during the holidays, handing it off to the next generation, hands passing tapes back and forth. This is how I found out about the movie when I was a kid. And it's how The Wiz found its place in the canon. 
It is a cult classic. Like for me, a cult classic is something that may not have been a commercial hit per se, but it was a hit in the streets. It's something people talk about, reference. There are terms or you know scenes or bits of dialogue that you can throw out and people connect to and know where it's from, even though by the numbers, shouldn't be able to do things like that. There's something to be said for The Wiz beating all the odds, right? Whether it was Ken Harper fighting for the musical to be realized on stage, or the film version that flamed out in the cinemas, just to be reborn as a cult classic for generations to come. But still, I struggle with how little The Wiz shows up in our culture. To me, it's Singing in the Rain, West Side Story, The Wiz. It just fits among the classics. There's a protective part of me that sees an upside to the film's cult status. It's a piece of art made by us, for us, carried by us, guarded by us. It's not like mainstream validation is going to make the art better. It's fantastic on its own. But there's another, possibly larger part of me that's just fed up with Black art living in the margins and having to wait for mainstream buy-in to get support. It's encouraging to see The Wiz receive more recognition in recent years. It's actually coming back to Broadway in 2024. I just wonder, with a little less resistance and a little more support, how many more Wizzes we could be blessed with? Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Ramoy Phillip. Next week, thank you for not smoking, unless you're smoking menthols. The story of how the menthol cigarette became widely used within Black communities is the story of how the industry has built loopholes into really massive consumer markets over the course of 70 years. The rest of our team is producer Olivia Briley. Our associate producers are Lauren Newcomb and Nick Del Rose. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Our executive editor is Andrea B. Scott. Editing by Kelly Prime. Fact-checking by Ian Michael. Voice acting by Ben Britton. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Sam Baer. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to the New York Public Library of Performing Arts for giving us access to Ken Harper's notes and correspondence. Maya Cade and the Black Film Archive. Ron Fassler, David Columbia, Trina Court and the African American Film Critics Association, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzika, Dan Behar, Jen Han, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Ariel Joseph. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. So my name is Eric M. Glover, Dr. Glover if you're nasty.